By now, most of you guys are very familiar with the text of Noah. And there are so many angles. I still find the, the Noah narrative, the Abraham narrative, and the Joseph narrative to be so powerful when it comes to revealing different levels of connection with God. In our work with the B'nai Noah community, by the very nature, we're called descendants of Noah, right? We're the people of Noah. Actually, everybody's the descendant of Noah, correct? Even the Jewish people are descendants of Noah. But we sort of proudly carry the moniker of the descendant of Noah for a very, very personal reason. And that is just like Noah, we the people of the nations are sort of caught up living our relationship with God with all of the calamity and the chaos around us that is in the normative world. Unlike the kosher Jew who lives within a Jewish community, he's cloistered along with his people in a small community. Uh, Everybody knows everyone in the community. Uh, They don't feel isolated. They don't feel alone. They feel very connected. Just the very fact of saying Jewish community says it all. With that being said, in the Noahide community, they're often splintered in, in different parts of the country or the world. And unlike this community, who's at least within proximity of ourselves, and we can come enjoy a relationship and community on Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday, and whenever we have special classes, uh, you guys are very unique in that. And um, uh, matter of fact, with that being said, I've got to make an amazing announcement uh, you guys remember Dr. Miller Fuentes that came that used to come here? Well, he is went to uh, Palm Beach, Florida, and in just a matter of a couple of months, seven families have joined up to start studying Torah together. And so he's wanting to start a B'nai Noach um, community in Palm Beach, Florida. So and I called it a native in Palm Beach. So we're very, very excited. And, so I'm excited about getting out there and, and helping to promote what they're doing. So we'll be building their graphics and Facebook page and all that stuff very soon. Noah found himself in a world that had become increasingly wicked. The average age of the person that lived in the time of Noah was under 100 years old, which it sounds kind of strange because it's like, well, that sounds like our age. But think about Noah. How old was he when he first started this adventure? How old was you remember? When the ark landed, he was how old? 600 years old, correct? So he'd been at this for quite a while. He had had the treasures of the knowledge of God, the wisdom of the oral Torah passed down from Adam to he. To he. And there he lived his life. It said that he was a righteous man of his generation. Now, there are some debates back and forth as to What did it mean to say, you know, in his generation, he was righteous in his generation? Some take a real strict sort of view and say, well, he was righteous compared to his generation. His generation was so wicked that, that, yes, he was righteous, but if he lived in a generation in which there were really righteous chachams and righteous experts of Torah, then he probably wouldn't merit anything. I don't know how to say anything more than... I failed to pass judgment on a man who walked with God. You see, that's what distinguishes Noah from the rest of the world, and that he walked with God. 
One says that Noah had to walk with God because he didn't have uh, the elevation that other great Chachams had in the future, experts, Avraham, for example. But Avraham walked with God. There's something very unique about this relationship of walking with God. So in today's shiur, I would like to talk to you about closeness to God, steps to, to connecting a closeness to God and how to, how to do that. Actually, the story of this text gives us uh, a narrative and a mechanism how to have closeness with God. I would say that the B'nai Noach has a very unique spiritual perspective that probably the rest of the Jewish world does not have. And that is the ability to connect to God when everything is against them. The ability to somehow continue to walk with Hashem when everybody else around us is not walking with Hashem. The ability of looking at the richness of Torah and seeing its illumination and applying it to your personal life, its wisdom, etc., when everybody else around you just don't care about it. Continue to strive on. Well, I asked myself, well, what was the purpose of the ark? If God wanted to save Noah, couldn't he have just saved them? Right? Could he have brought down some great miracle and wonder and saved Noah and his family? I guess he could have. But see, Hashem doesn't work that way. Now, I want to deal with the subject matter of atonement in a few minutes because it's going to be very important. Because those who watch this who are uh, are Christians, they have an idea about atonement that is not a biblical idea. Now, they talk about a covering or, or uh, you know, somehow a substitution or something that can atone for you, meaning you have some magic potion that you apply and you are atoned without anything that you have to do. But the first text of the Bible that talks about atonement is in this text right here. You say, well, where in the world does it talk about atonement in the story of Noah? Well, first of all, he says for him to pitch the ark, or build the ark and pitch it. That root word, keter, uh, is, is uh, atonement or covering. What does it mean for, for, for Noah to pitch the ark? in some aspects, according to Chesedut, is Noah atoned for his family by pitching the ark so it doesn't leak. Does that make sense? If he wouldn't have done it, if he wouldn't have pitched it, then what would have happened? It would have leaked. It would have sunk. His family wouldn't have been preserved. So there's action. The reason why that I know that atonement, according to Jewish thought, has to be the individual's responsibility is it starts off like this. Verse 14, he says, chapter 6, verse 14. I'll give you a chance to turn there. Keyword, I want you to build it yourself. Make yourself an ark. Make Yourself an ark. Major understanding of Jewish atonement is one's personal responsibility to himself. 
You have to make atonement for yourself. You have to make an ark. Question is, is I thought sacrifices atone. We have that would be thrown at us at times. But we understand that sacrifice is only good to atone for unintentional sin. That means something that was committed without intention. Or maybe even done in such a manner that you are not sure whether it was wrong, so you go make a sacrifice. I've had numerous evangelical pastors ask me, well, now that you are no longer a Christian, how do you get your sins forgiven? And I say the same way that every human being does, according to Ezekiel 18, I repent. I turn away from my sinful ways and I walk in holiness and righteousness before God. I make atonement for my sin. How do we make atonement? We're going to learn in just a moment. The mechanism by it is so beautiful and so simple that any person can do it. No matter where you're at in the world, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Christian, Jew, whatever, we all make repentance the same way. There's not a Jewish repentance. There's not a Christian repentance. There's not a Buddhist repentance. There is a biblical, godly repentance that is described within the Scripture that's absolutely simple and mind-boggling. Every human being can live close to Hashem. How do we do it? By taking personal responsibility. God could have easily allowed Noah's sons to help him build the ark, but Noah had to do it himself. You are responsible for yourself. You cannot depend upon the spiritual ecstasy and experience of your ancestors. You cannot depend upon the spiritual connection of your spouse. You have to have your own spiritual connection and your own spiritual atonement. The problem with having the sons work or have outside help, this would have accelerated the ark's construction, therefore limiting the time in which people could repent. What is so beautiful about this story, here Hashem says that their, their, their robbery and their evil had come to such a level that they were needed, they needed to, he needed to destroy them. And even in the midst of feeling that the earth needs to be cleansed by the wicked, that his wickedness was here, and we understand the wickedness had reached a level that even animals were breeding with other animals and species and humans with animals. It was absolutely uh, deplorable. But what made it worse is that it says the world was filled with robbery due to them and, and he wanted to just obliterate them. But in the process of saying that I want to obliterate them, he says, you build the ark. By you taking time to build the ark yourself, it will give others a time to repent. Can I tell you what the most powerful thing about your closeness with God? It's supposed to have an effect on others. Does it always? No. As a matter of fact, according to Midrashim, God had to use the wild beast to protect the ark in the hours before it began to float because the people were so angry at Noah. Because of the flood, used wild animals to protect the ark. They had become so angry at him that, you know, for some reason, he didn't open up the ark for them. And the whole time they had 120 years to accomplish this. And not one person decided to step in except for the family. God knew that Noah was not terribly interested in saving his contemporaries from the destruction. 
Why? Because actually Noah lived it. He saw how deplorable it was. He saw how difficult it was. The only way Noah would encourage his fellow to mend their evil ways, if commanded to do so, and even then only in order to uh, discharge his obligation. Noah did exactly what God asked him to do, and nothing more. Is that how bad the generation had gotten that it was like it wasn't wasn't worth saving? I look around and I think the world I live in can be pretty bad, but I couldn't imagine thinking that it's so bad that it wouldn't be worth saving. He told Noah to caulk the inside and outside with pitch. I want to go back and I want you to write the word down, kofer, and it notes atonement. Our sages teaches us that the Torah and in deeds of kindness affect atonement. How do we atone? The study of Torah, the application of the study of Torah, meaning that I, my intentions is to take Torah in and then actually apply it. By applying Torah, it cleanses us. Rabbi Nachman, a blessed memory, says that the study, intense study of Torah actually purifies and cleanses us. A person who takes and studies Torah very, you know, very strongly, uh, it has a purifying aspect in your life. And I would say this, there are some people that will watch this video and say, you don't understand, it's very difficult for me to study the Torah. I don't understand Hebrew. A lot of the, the, the Hebrew phrases are just, I, I don't understand. It just seems so far away from me. And when I have to study just a little bit of text, it's so much work and it's so hard. I want you to understand that even though that is so much work and so hard, you are purifying yourself with that. So don't stop. Continue doing. Even if it's only studying a phrase, even if it's only learning what a, a particular word is in the text, do it, and you, with your intensity of studying the Torah, God begins to purify yourself. That, that pitch that is put inside of you, what, what's happening is you're sealing yourself off from the, uh, the influences of the Yetzirah. Make sense? You're sealing yourself off. If you can imagine putting pitch or tar, it was actually a tar made up of, of plant life, like tar and a tree, uh, uh, what do you call it, rubber from trees. And this pitch would be put on the inside and outside of the, the structure, and water couldn't permeate it. What does atonement really do for you? When you begin to study Torah, when you begin to do mitzvah, when you begin to give tzedakah, charity, when you give to the study of Torah, what happens is you begin to seal yourself off from the effects or the negative effects of the, of the world around you. The negative aspects of evil speech that other people commit themselves to or, or, or vulgar language, etc., etc. You begin to cons- cons- or, uh, seal yourself off from all of that and you'll find the more that you study Torah, the less you'll have to deal with many of the issues that entice us to commit sin. Rabbi Nachman of Brislav says that only a person who has a spirit of folly sins. That a person that studies Torah does not sin. You go, whoa, hold on a second. I know people that study Torah and they make a sin here and there. Yes, but not with intention. You understand the difference? A person who is a, a, a folly, a person who is folly, full of folly, is a person who knows that it's a sin, doesn't, it doesn't matter to them. Their personal pleasure is the only thing that counts.
And it's guaranteed that if you will study Torah, you will seal yourself in this world and protect yourself from the world around you. It says, uh, it's interesting because uh, the, the phrase here is used is, is, imagine this, he says, caulk yourself, seal yourself. So first, build your ark and then seal your ark. So if you want to get close to God, there is a process. First, it ta- take, takes personal responsibility. You have to first recognize that the world around you is a world that is not interested in closeness to God like you are interested. And if the, anybody in your close proximity, family members, etc., are going to get close to Hashem and going to repent, it's going to be because you have first built your own relationship with God. How do you build that? You build it to exact proportions of what God says. The Torah gives us the prescription of closeness to God. The Ten Commandments is a great step-by-step program that leads us to 613 commandments that help us to to connect intimately to the character and nature and essence of the Creator. When we study Torah, when we begin to put together the framework of our ark, the next thing we have to do is preserve ourselves so that we, uh, we are able to be sustained in that ark of atonement that you, that you make. The next thing that has to be done is to bring in illumination. Now, I discovered something today that I never knew. I just had no idea. I've read over this text many times, and it never hit me. I want you to look at verse 16. Would someone read from the Chumash? Chapter 6, verse 16. Who would like to read? Yes. A window shall you make for the ark, and to a cubit finish it from above. But the entrance of the ark in its side, make it with bottom, second, and third deck. Okay, so what, uh, what translation is that? What book is that? Stone. Anybody have a different one? Then stone. Okay, what... What is not listed in the stone edition is this. Make a skylight and an illum- a, a luminous stone to light the ark. Like, what, what is that? What's a luminous stone? Well, I started doing some digging and found that there was a book that was a compilation of the story narrative from the time of Adam to the time of Avraham. And it's basically uh, an independent narrative based in the oral tradition. And part of the narrative was explaining what this luminous stone was. A simple window wouldn't have lit up the whole ark. Think about it for a second. Just a simple window is not going to illuminate that. In a book called the Sefer Olam, which was written somewhere around the 2nd century, was a compilation of oral tradition that ran a a narrative along with the stories of creation, etc., said that this stone was made of some type of special like crystal, and it was an inverted like pyramid that was placed in this window. And the way the light refracted through this crystal, it illuminated the whole ark. Now, what's the significance of that? You see, one can build an ark. One can pitch it, atone it, seal it. But without bringing the illumination of the presence of Hashem, the light of Hashem, then it's just going to be a functional place with no closeness with the Creator. 
there are people out there in the religious world that have, they practice their religion to the T. They pray at the right times, they eat kosher food, they do everything they're supposed to do, yet they lack illumination. They lack spirituality. They lack a connection with Hashem. And I'm here to encourage those who are religious Jews who may feel like that you are lacking illumination. There is a way to get close to Hashem, and that is you have to bring down the light. The Kabbalah talks about bringing down or drawing down the light of Hashem. How do we draw down the light of Hashem? What is the ways that we bring light into our life? We bring light into our life by practicing the things of Torah. We bring light into our life by doing hits by the dude, personal prayer, really connecting to God on a personal level. Let me tell you, I love, I love uh, reading the prayers in the Siddur, but can I tell you the most productive prayers that I have? are the ones sitting out on my back patio. Most productive prayers. Sometimes the most productive prayers are driving down the road because it's personal. You're just connecting to Hashem and you just say, hey, i got to talk to you for a second. I, I need a way out of this. Somehow you've got to be able to fix this thing. If you can't fix that, fix me. Find a way to work around my issues. Help me. That is what brings illumination in. Bringing light in is pushing the darkness away. What is darkness? Absence of light. Darkness in and of itself doesn't have any properties. Darkness is an absence of light. So therefore, if a person feels that they are not close to a shim, you have to bring uh, these properties together. Number one, first step. The first step is to build your relationship with a shim. You have to build it. Take responsibility. Someone else is not going to do it for you. You can go online and you can... Uh, read all of the material in Aish in Chabad or Torch in Houston or Nativ in Houston. And if you don't take responsibility for growing close to Hashem, you're doing nothing more than an academic exercise. You have to take responsibility to grow. No one can grow your spiritual connection. Next, you must atone yourself on the inside. Begin to protect yourself by the study of Torah, by by sharing Torah with your friends, and also by giving charity and the teaching of Torah. And then you have to bring illumination in your life. Actually meditate on bringing the presence of Hashem in your life. You see, with all of these things said and done, without the illumination of God in my life, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now, and so neither would you. As a matter of fact, I would, ha- I would venture to say that most of us started our journey simply by a little illumination that came into your life by your religious experience, whatever it was. But you started with a little bit of light. And the closer you got to God, the bigger the light became. And the closer you, the more you studied the uh, the words of the Torah, the more bright and illuminous that light became. And so it is now today that you have developed a a relationship and a closeness to God that uh, others can benefit from. Before I close, I want to read this last text. Go to chapter 8, verse 21. While you're turning to that, I'm going to build the story up. The story is it rained for 40 days, and for approximately a year, Noah and his family was in the ark, floating. They had sent out a raven to see if there was uh, water had receded. Then they sent out a dove, and finally the dove comes back with an olive branch. And then after a few more weeks... 
the water completely receded, the, gr- dr- the ground was dry, and they exited the ark together by families, it said. Even the animals exited by their, exited by their families. And then Noah built an altar, and he took some of the animals that he had that God said bring in the clean animals, and he offered them, including birds, etc., etc., that were clean. And then it says in chapter 8, verse 21, God smelled the appeasing fragrance. Now, this is an anthropomorphic term. God doesn't have a nose. Okay, so just he recognized. God said to himself, never again will I curse the soil because of man. For the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. I will never again strike down all life as I have just done. Now, as I was a child growing up, I was always told that he said he would never destroy the earth with a flood. That's not what Hashem said. He said, I will never again curse the soil because of man. Why? God recognized he's wicked from youth. He's going to be that way. He says, I will never again strike down all life as I have done. Now, for all of you who come, all of you folks who come from different religious backgrounds, who've had the hell scared out of you, thinking that the end of the world is coming and God is going to destroy the earth, a huge nuclear weapon will go off and kill everybody, except for a few Christians that are already gone who are in heaven. Probably if you're a Baptist, you're a Baptist in heaven or Or if you're Pentecostal, you're the Pentecostals in heaven. Whomever it may be, but I want you to know God made a covenant with the children of Noah. He's not going to destroy this earth again. What He wants us to do is repent. Very simple. He's not going to destroy humanity. He realized it's not worth it. They're going to be wicked anyway. So what do I have to do? I have to get them to repent. So He calls the great men of of, of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to walk upright before God. He brings down Sinai, Torah at Sinai, give it to the Jewish people to preserve it. He brings along the great Nevim, the great prophets, who cry out in the wilderness to repent and turn their hearts to God. And then the words of Ezekiel says, God said that all souls belong to me and every soul that repents shall live. All souls, not Jewish souls, not Hindu souls, not German souls, not Chinese, all souls. If that be in the case... I'm here to declare that everyone can get close and become close to Hashem and repent. And Baruch Hashem, we have a promise to us, to us, the descendants of Noah, that God will no longer destroy the earth like He did before. What does He desire? God says, I do not delight in the destruction of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should repent. May the words of this year, this lecture, illuminate your life. May you draw close to Hashem. And most of all, may you also begin to be closer than you ever have been before in your walk with the Creator. That concludes this lecture. Any questions, comments, fears, doubts, unbeliefs?